0: Hey guys, this is Rachel Kanya, producer here at Mission. I just wanted to take a moment to let you know how much we appreciate your listenership. Over the past year, we've had the opportunity to interview guests such as Alec Baldwin, Jeffrey Wright, Greg Becker, Doug Merritt, Sophia Bush, Liz Wiseman, and many, many others. We've passed 2.1 million downloads, and the show and our team is only continuing to grow and change. We couldn't have gotten to where we are without the support from all of you. That being said, we want to give you a chance to voice your opinion. What do you want to hear more of on Mission Daily? In our show notes, we've included a link to a survey to help us create more amazing content that you want to hear. By filling it out, you will be entered to win one of 10 mission beanies and mission branded water bottles. Again, that link is in our show notes. To give us time to curate more great content and digest the feedback from the survey, we will be taking a few week break from mission daily starting tomorrow, but never fear. We've linked up a few of our favorite archived episodes in the show notes below to keep you busy while we are away. Thanks again. And please check out the survey in our show notes. Every little bit of feedback helps. Welcome to Mission Daily. Today, Ian is joined by Susie Schoenberg, head of Flexport.org, whose mission is to empower NGOs and government agencies to deliver aid more effectively. Flexport.org works alongside Flexport, which moves freight globally by air, ocean, rail, and truck for the world's leading brands. On today's episode, Ian and Susie sit down to discuss how Susie first was introduced to Flexport and their mission how she pitched herself to Ryan Peterson, the founder of Flexport, for a job at the company, and the three main programs Flexport.org is focused on improving. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org.
1: Welcome to Mission Daily. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at mission.org, and we are in downtown San Francisco, Flexport HQ. Susie, what's going on?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being here.
1: We're excited to talk about all things Flexport and and your background. So what is Flexport and Flexport.org?
2: Flexport is a modern freight forwarder. We help companies to bring their goods from point A to point B. We also help them to finance their goods and provide technology and data to actually optimize their supply chain. Probably you're more familiar with logistics when you think about receiving a parcel. Actually sending those packages around is relatively easy. One company can own the whole process and the whole infrastructure. This is really different if you ship big containers. You can have as many as 15 to 18 companies involved into the process. And so we help companies to streamline it and make it really accessible. Flexport.org is using Flexport's expertise, technology, and infrastructure to help companies to achieve their social and environmental goals and to tackle complex challenges that we are facing today.
1: So first question, did you feel like when you were growing up that someday you'd be working in, you know, a quote unquote unicorn technology company here in uh, sunny San Francisco?
2: Didn't see it coming at all. Not logistics, not technology.
1: What did you want to be?
2: That's a good question. I wanted to be an astrophysicist, actually. So I grew up in a country that does not exist anymore, which probably indicates that there wasn't much around and that it wasn't as fun, but you could always see the sky. So I was really interested in what was going on there.
1: When did you, like, start to think about the fact that you could have a career in tech?
2: So it wasn't that I was thinking about having a career in tech. I was more thinking about how can I create a career that allows me to have a fundamental impact on the economy and current issues. And, you know, tech turns out to be the tool that really allows you to scale your programs, to reach a ton of people, and to make things way more efficient.
1: You uh, got your MBA at, uh, at Haas, UC Berkeley. I'm a Cal fan, G- b- born a Cal Go Bears. But MBA is not exactly, um, you know, a path right now, especially in here in Silicon Valley that a lot of people do. Did you find that having that baseline of uh, of business skills was helpful?
2: So I, my undergrad was economics, so I was familiar with general business concepts. However, I never lived in the U.S. before. And I found that the MBA was a great way of, one, getting exposed to the culture, you know, learning styles, input, but also meeting a ton of people and just giving me the time to reflect, what do I actually want to do? And it's a great time to try different things. So I did a ton of just like try and error, I had a lot of hypotheses, for example, I thought impact investing would be my thing. Mm-hmm. Tried it. No. <laughs> and so I think it's a very valuable experience to really test your own hypotheses and really dig in into a few to say like concepts.
1: So why why was, why was impact investing not, not your thing?
2: I like to be closer to the creation part of impact. And I think for impact investing, they were just like, you know, it's a different different focus. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm more the entrepreneurial type that actually wants to think about and then implement programs to have an impact.
1: How did you first hear about Flexport?
2: So three weeks after I started my MBA, Ryan Peterson was the CEO of Flexport, was a speaker. So there was an entrepreneurship speaker series. And as I just said, I wanted to learn about innovation, entrepreneurship, so I attended his talk and Flexport just raised their Series A. They were like 30 people, maybe. No one knew Flexport. Yeah. Um, but this is how I met him.
1: What was it like then? I mean, there's a lot of uh, Flexport solving a massive problem. You know, it's one of the most interesting companies, personally. I I just find it fascinating. But back then, it was, you know, a twinkle. Uh, it was, you know, a little, little tiny startup that could You know, what was the thing that you saw that attracted you to the company and kind of Ryan's mission and vision?
2: So probably there were three things. Number one, while everybody was thinking about tech, when they were thinking about a word with T, I was thinking about transportation. He was like, (laughs) this is what I knew. And so he was talking about logistics, an industry that I was familiar with. So I immediately bought into his vision and knew what you tried to do could be massive because I worked at a big company in the same industry and saw the potential for doing it differently. Number two, I really liked him as a person, you know, the way that he just like presented his ideas, uh, really humble, but at the same time really ambitious, which spoke to me. And three, I didn't know anything about coffee sheds in the US. (laughs) So I just went up to him and was like, hey, can I work for you? (laughs) <laughs> and this is how I basically ended up at Flexport.
1: That is hilarious. What so what did he say?
2: <laughs> he was really surprised. I think he asked like, what did you say? And I was like, can I have a job? And then he asked for my email address and my email address was, you know, a really easy one. And he was like, how did you get it? And he was somehow fascinated that I got this particular email address. And he was like, okay, let's meet for a coffee.
1: We can talk a little bit about kind of like this idea of breaking into tech. Um, you know, we have listeners in over 130 countries. You know, one of the things that's challenging for a lot of people is like getting that first, you know, start getting that first, you know, little inkling that I can do this. When did you feel like, you know, in your career that you were doing something maybe that wasn't right or that didn't feel natural to you or or where you felt stuck in a certain place or an area, uh, or mentally and just kind of couldn't figure it out.
2: I often felt that either the things I wanted to do didn't fit what all the others asked me to do, or there were like certain goals I had and I didn't know how to start. What I learned is to put this drive that I had, or even just like this willingness to improve into suggestions and solutions rather than complaints. So let me give you an example if that helps. Um, so in my old job, you know, we were wondering if there are certain trends that we are missing and people might say, oh, I'd wish, you know, our leaders would finally do something about X, Y, and Z. This is complaining, But what you can also do is maybe raise your hand and say, there's this opportunity and I have an idea how we can tackle it. And by the way, I wrote up a paragraph, you know, can I talk to you about this? And this is how I got to found a think tank that reported to the CEO of a 300,000 people company um, while still being pretty young. Um, And I think this is how I always continue. Talk about your ideas. Don't be afraid.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially when they look at technology companies or, uh, you know, it could be anywhere, you know, in, in Europe or in Asia or, or in America, they kind of think that people have all the ideas and like they don't, right? They need people who have ideas and that are actually going to be able to execute those. Like that's always valuable. Showing people that you have an idea for something and then can execute on that vision is always valuable. I just straight asking for a job. It's worked for people. It's worked for some people like yourself. Uh, But there's a lot of work. I think when people hear those type of stories, they think that, hey, I could go do that. But they don't realize the amount of work that it took to get to that point. All the years of research and studying, all of the, you know, stuff, building a think tank, this muscle that you build over time, that when you do get that opportunity, you're prepared for it. Did you feel like you were prepared when uh, when you said, uh, "Can I have a job"?
2: No, and I actually, I when mean, Ryan invited me to come over to the office, I went to the career service and was like, "I will go to the office of Flexport." They did not know what Flexport was at the time. Yeah, sure. And then the first advice that they gave me was, "Don't ask for a job." I'm like. <laughs> too late. (laughs) And then I was like, what should I do? Do I have to prepare a presentation? Like, how does it work? So I didn't feel prepared. But what's important to think about is what is the particular knowledge that you might have that others don't have? So I feel a lot of tech companies want to change something in the physical world but they might not be familiar with certain processes. So, your background, wherever it might be, and it might be a very different industry, can be super valuable to them. And to you, it's just like natural because, like, this is what you did all the time, but it's a big, big asset.
1: Every CEO, their number one priority is talent. They might say it's one thing or, you know, whatever, but every year they come out with CEO, you know, f- survey the Fortune 500 CEOs and like, number one is always talent and diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. Everybody's worrying about becoming obsolete and you know their industry being disrupted or whatever it is. So they need ideas and they need really talented people. And as the world becomes more connected and companies like Flexport that are at the forefront of that, you need people from all over the world to come up with those ideas. You might have not have the best expertise in transportation, but you have a pretty good expertise in the place where you grew up and the culture that you grew up in, like that sort of stuff in and of itself is valuable if you can pull insights from it. Did you feel like you had an advantage because you grew up outside of the U.S.?
2: That's a really interesting question. Yes and no. There are a few maybe processes or words of thinking that I was less familiar with and that I definitely had to learn. But it's also good to just be on your toes and not be like too comfortable. So probably I was very focused on listening and observing people, which is always a good thing to do. Like in every room you can learn. So for example, when we started this podcast, (laughs) I asked your awesome team about how does this work, you know, and what is your job? And Maybe that's kind of a characteristic that I took from my early times and that is still really valuable. You
1: see the articles being written about like, oh, I want someone who's intellectually curious. But again, that's a skill that's learned. Like that's yeah, you might be a naturally curious person and you know, you ask your teachers at school questions all the time or something. But it's also something that you can you can just learn. Like you can practice every day asking questions. What were some of the things that when you came working into technology, going to Haas, that were the things that you feel like you weren't prepared for? What were the skills that you needed to work on?
2: It's the velocity and speed I was used to. You have to perfectly think about everything, assess every risk, and only if you have proven that nothing can go wrong and you have 100% of the information, you move forward. I feel tech is probably the opposite of kind of this definition. So just like, you know, trusting your instinct, fast iterations, experiments, and even just like getting adjusted to all of the people. You know, we have like all those entrepreneurial spirits around you. That was an adjustment too.
1: Do you still speak four languages? Yes. What, what's your skill? How do you, is it just like, that's how your brain works or what?
2: Well, in Europe, you kind of have to, true, like yeah. here you can just like, you know, drive forever and don't come across so many different languages. So I feel languages are so fascinating because the way their grammar works has so much of their culture in it. That's true, So this is just like really, really interesting for me. And you connect to people in a different way.
1: I went to visit Brazil and I tried super hard to learn Portuguese in like my time bleeding, like Duolingo, all that sort of stuff. But the thing that was so crazy about it was not how bad I was. Uh, That was pretty crazy, but how much when you try to learn someone's language, how quickly you connect with them, they're like, they don't care at all how bad you are at the language. They just care that you're trying, you know? And it was such an easy way to like, you know, connect with people and have them like realize first they're like, why are you here in my city? And then you're like, oh, because it's really cool. And then they're like, oh, like, you know, you, you get points for every single piece of that. I think people are so nervous about what other people are going to think of them. And it's like, It's actually mostly the opposite. I want to go back to to flexboard.org. Well, first, what was your first job? Like you asked for the job. What did it end up being?
2: To be honest, it was one of the biggest surprises because what Ryan did was he asked me, what do you want to work on? And I did not know how to answer this question because I was so used to people telling me what my job and next task is. So I was really surprised. And then I started thinking about it. One of the ideas was Flexport.org. But Flexport, again, was so small, you know, over four years ago, we had to build Flexport first. You know, without Flexport, there is no Flexport.org. So I worked in a lot of kind of operational departments. So I did modeling for trucking and kind of pricing. And then I worked kind of in the ocean team. So actually 90% of all the goods that are being shipped around the world are being transported on ocean ships. So it really matters. But there hasn't been a really good partnership between the people owning the ships and then people managing the whole process. And so my task was to think about how actually, how can we actually help those people that want to make sure that their ships are full? And we found pretty good ways to kind of make it happen.
1: The job that you're going for in a startup quite literally doesn't exist. Like I I was uh, talking to a friend the other day about applying to a company and they're like, Oh, they don't have any open recs for me. I'm like, they just raised 200 million bucks. They have an open rack. They just, it might not be listed on the site, but I promise you they're hiring. And it's like, they might not be hiring for a director level level role yet. And you're at a director level, but I'm pretty sure you could build one in there. And, and that title means potentially nothing to them. So they could give you the title of director and not really care about it. But I think that until you're inside the industry, you don't realize these things, right? You don't, you just think like, oh, if I want a job at blank company, I'll look at their job board, right?
2: It's so helpful advice. And even just like getting started without being too concerned about title is important too, because like if you can prove your value, my guess is that the startup would do anything to kind of keep you, right? There is no reason for them to kind of let you ever go again.
1: Yeah, we, we were talking about this internally about the idea that you know, so like for us, like if you're a if you're a podcast producer and you produce one show, that if you were to be able to produce two shows and then hire you know two associates underneath you, you created value for the company, right? Because now your salary, uh, you know your salary, you know, being doubled is more money for the company than hiring two associates. Well, where does that value go? It goes either back in your bank account or to the company, but either way, it's a win. Like, I think the, the idea of value creation and like figuring out ways to do that is always there. If you're creative about looking for it, like no leader is ever going to, if you say, Hey, you know, I, I want to, you know, save the company, you know, 40,000 bucks, like, can I run down this uh, this rabbit hole? They'd be like, yeah, of course, go for it, right? Um, but I think people just don't, you know, you just think, hey, progression is linear, that there's this path, this like golden path that you're going to go down. And it's pretty much always a circuitous route.
2: Can I ask you a question? Fire away. And I know that you talked about, at least partially about your transition from also like a very different kind of industry or area. To tech, what are other lessons that you would share with people? And you found it. Yeah, I found a mission. So, So,
1: but yeah, that came last. I mean, the thing that I, my piece of advice that I think um, is really important is um, the people at the cutting edge are more available than they ever have been before through things like podcasts. That's why we're building a podcast network. That the best practices are out there. You can listen to podcasts, you can watch YouTube videos, you can do all this stuff of all of the people that are like your mentors. So you can learn the vernacular of business really easily. Now, no matter where you are in the world, you can have access to that as long as you have internet, if you have internet. So you can learn all of that stuff. And then if you put in all the work to learn that piece of it, or it's, you could, you know, go to uh, a coding bootcamp or something like that, or, hit up Austin All Red on Twitter and and try to get into Lambda School or something like that. (laughs) But if you do that and you learn all of those things, then, uh, which is what I did, I just like learned as much as I could about sales and marketing. You have a base of knowledge and understanding of something that when you do get into conversations, that you can at least like hold your own on those things. And that was like a big like learning point for me was a lot of the, a lot of my peers just didn't want to do the work. And then, you know, the other thing that I did is I went to like networking events, like every single night of the week for like the first, like two years that I got out of the military and just like met a bunch of people and talked to them and, and learn stuff. But you can learn so much faster by having the digital access and then in-person access that all that stuff compounds, like you're not trying to get a job tomorrow. You're trying to make yourself extremely competitive in 10 years. And it's like, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I got is like, you can't connect the dots until you place the dots. And like early in your career, you're just kind of like the dots are being like present and transparent and working hard and showing that you're supporting other people. Uh, And if you do all that stuff and you really work to help people. Like one of the things that I had, so I was working for a media company and we had really good access to tell people stories. And so every single person I talked to, I'd be like, Hey, we, I can get a story made on you. Uh, You know, I'll talk to our writers. I'll see if they want to do it. And so I was just doing that every day. But like, it was one thing that I had that a lot of people didn't have And so there's something that there's some advantage that everyone has that they could, they could do. And you have to find that and then be able to just say like, wake up every day and just be like, I'm just going to try to help as many people as possible. And like the universe will come back around in some way, but you know, you never know. And what, and what's funny about this is, so I did this conference. Ryan, the CEO of Flexport, reached out to us cold and was like, hey, I'd love to talk to this conference. And, you know, here we are like four years later at Flexport, you know, doing this interview. And it's just like, you know, the world comes back around if you if you operate from a from a good place.
2: Yeah. And I actually would love to quote you when you said, you know, you try to be competitive in 10 years Because I feel this is so much about the work that I try to do with companies to think about their larger kind of impact and to think ahead, right? And then so much of the work that Flexport tries to do in the sense of helping people to build their business, right? And give them kind of the tools. And people might have said, oh, why are you helping those smaller companies? Because we believe in those founders.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just it's really hard to work in um, short time horizons, like both personally and professionally. There's a great, so Gibson Biddle is the former VP of product at Netflix. Said that Netflix would think in five-year increments, because it's really hard to do something in a year, but in five years, you kind of can. And it's like, they wanted to be the best in the world at DVDs in five years. And then they wanted to be the best in the world in their technology uh, in 10 years. And then 15 years, they wanted to be best in the world in content, generally speaking, like 15 or 18 years later, it's like, They pretty much did that, right? So I think that that's the sort of thing. I think a lot of people, you have to be like really helpful and good at your job in the short term and, you know, get really smart faster. But ultimately, it's a long game. Colonel Sanders started KFC at age like 91 or 92 or whatever it is. Like, you're never too late to keep improving. And I think there's just so much like, you know, short-term ism and short-term thinking that's not super beneficial. How did you pitch the idea to Ryan to do Flexport. Daughter? Or the team? I shouldn't say it's not, it, you know, it's it's not just him. It's the entire entire team.
2: But he had to hear it first. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. There you go. <laughs> Given my background, and so I used to be a counselor for traumatized children for a couple of years. So I was pretty much aware of that there is a need and then... I mean, just read the news, you know, there continues to be a need. And to me, it was really clear that our technology can be extremely impactful. But then what happened was at the height of the Syrian refugee crisis, we had a nonprofit that reached out and was like, hey, can you get those goods, medical supplies to Jordan and Turkey so that we can support Syrian refugees? That's not easy, um, but we decided, you know, you know, we want to help. So let's try it, Um, manage this complex process. And the nonprofit came back and said, what you have, like the visibility you provide saves lives. And they told us about that. They often use volunteers on the ground and knowing when something arrives and then what is actually in a specific container. Is it like food or a medicine makes a massive difference. And so this was just like immediate feedback that kind of confirmed all the ideas and hypotheses that we had. So then on the weekends and evenings, I started to build Flexport.org. So trying to figure out, you know, what are other areas that we can engage and how would a program look like? And then how can we test it? Because the other area, in addition to just, you know, humanitarian aid, that is really impacted by logistics is kind of the environment. right? Yeah. So like if shipping, so like meaning just shipping stuff um, with a boat would be a country. It would be the sixth largest polluter in the world. That's crazy. Emitting more than Germany. Yeah. It's a massive. So then again, you know, it's a responsibility, but also kind of an opportunity to do something about it. Um, so I, I built it and then got a meeting with Ryan. and was like, what do you think? <laughs> and at least he didn't say no. And that's all you need. It was up to me to kind of prove that, This is actually something that creates value and edit.
1: It's funny because I feel like we're at the point now where, and we just did some interviews earlier on on Mission Daily with a bunch of uh, of .orgs um, from Box and Okta and others. And what's so funny is there's such a clear impact now. Like I feel like 20 years ago, this was just not a thing, right? Like the way that, companies could clearly delineate how having a .org can create exponential value and how leveraging revenues from the business to create an arm of the company like this is, it. like, the business model is so obvious now in retrospect. Do you kind of feel like even though obviously every organization is still figuring this out that it's really cutting edge like could you like looking 20 years in the future what are you going to look back and say like i can't believe how early we are we were i can't believe you know we didn't focus on x y and z
2: probably in 20 years we will be really proud about the impact that we have made what I think is special about Flexport and why I think it's still at the forefront is it's so connected to our business itself. For some companies, the best they can do is give money away. Yeah, totally. And that's still a.org and they please give grants to nonprofits. It's oftentimes the best thing you can do. But Flexport itself, you know, our mission is to make trade easy, here for everyone, which itself creates already impact. One of the few, as an economist, one of the few topics that actually economists agree upon, which is really rare, is actually the trade trade helps to lift people out of poverty. And then if you're on top, just like think it one step further and just like make a very deliberate um, investment and commitment to using your core business to do something good. I think the impact can even be greater because for me, it means the more successful Flexport will be, the bigger Flexport.org can get. Of course. And I'm just really excited about the really tight connection that we have to Ryan's initial vision and the core offering of the company itself.
1: So what's some of the impact? What is? Uh, what are some of the things you're proud of?
2: So Flexport.org consists of, I would say, B, uh, three big programs. Number one is thinking about the carbon emissions. I just talked about how big it can be. If you are a company that produces any physical goods, shipping them around the world from where you produce them to where you sell them can be 30 to over 50% of your carbon footprint which is massive, oftentimes companies, you know, have a carbon reduction goal of 20% and they don't think about logistics. Yeah, so And totally. I'm like, you can reach your goal overnight, you know, not by 30, uh, 20, 35, you know, work with us. So I'm really proud that we developed a tool that allows companies to, to see their impact and then to offset their carbon emissions. If we were to decarbonize trade, which hopefully we can claim in 20 years, we would be good for another few years, you know, like as as a world. yeah. Um, so That's something that's really important. And number two is, you know, companies have access goods. It might be returns, things got damaged, maybe in production, you know, the color is slightly off. What do they do? Well, I ask you, what do you think they do? Toss them. Awesome. Yeah. So my, actually my naive, you're better than I, my initial, you know, thought that I had was hopefully they recycle it. You know, maybe they take things apart. But then I started thinking about it and was like, well, probably they don't take the initial pieces, ship it back to China where they probably produce to make something new. Yes. So that's the reason why they burn it or put it on the landfill. But there's at the same time a big need, right? Nonprofits need things all the time. But for you as a company employee or even owner, you don't know where this is, how much they need and when. And so you make the economic decision for your company. And we build a model where we work with companies to actually extend the life cycle of their product and donate all the goods and make it super easy. So every company can do this.
1: This is like a really critical thing that is so fascinating to me. My dad, growing up, he used to say this all the time. My family was like the best recycling family ever. Like my dad was like ridiculous about it. But he always used to say, he's like, all this recycling stuff is actually more expensive than just tossing it. So most countries are just going to do or companies or whatever it is, or human beings are going to just do what's in their best interest, right? Like if you're struggling, like if it's more expensive to recycle it, you're just going to throw it in the trash. If it's harder to do, then you're just going to do what's like the path of least resistance. And I think what's so interesting about Flexport is giving people an option that is actually in their best interest, right? Like that's, that's what's so exciting to me is like, those are the things where, you know, if there's no difference then you know people people are going to do whatever and and now they'll actually have an option.
2: Right. So we make it super easy like you know no like no extra work on them. We do all for them and it's actually cheaper because you know we discount our services whenever You want to ship something for a good cause. And so I talked about, you know, reducing global carbon emissions and then helping to use extra products for a good purpose. And then the last area is around helping nonprofits and government agencies to actually deliver aid more effectively. Yeah. Right. We talked about, hey, logistics, it's really complicated. Imagine you work in a scenario where you actually can't plan anything, And you don't have a lot of resources. It's just like really tough. And so we have a separate team that helps those organizations as well.
1: I have an important question. Yes. When somebody loses the Super Bowl or the NBA championship and there's all the t-shirts, are those really going to other people? We have to, the people have to know. They do. So there, I mean, like this is, it's, but I feel like it's one of the only examples that's like a public example of how like we conceptually get that idea. But the idea that those, those T-shirts and hats have to actually get on a ship to somewhere else, right? Like that's the part that nobody ever, ever knows about is Flexport helping.
2: So basically they don't want this to be here. So you have to ship it somewhere else. Yeah, It's probably better than bringing them. But I hope that we can even inspire other companies to give other products too yeah. that can save people's life so yeah so shipping those t-shirts is amazing but if you have you know let's say underwear you know this would be helpful too so for example we work with third love and they have a really generous return policy which is great for all of us but it's actually also great for people in need because they decided to actually donate returns rather than burning them
1: it seems like you're really excited about the future as well and the things that we can do to, you know, maybe overcorrect uh, some of the things, you know, that we've we've kind of set in motion. Yeah. Like, are you excited for the future?
2: I really am. Probably for two reasons. Number one, we see a lot of great brands that actually think about those things from the get-go. So they think about the ingredients they use or the purpose their product serves. And we're really lucky to work with a a lot of brands um, that have this as part of their business model, right? If you think about, let's say, Bombus, a company mm-hmm. that produces socks and they have like a buy one, give one model. And that's great, you know, and we help them with all their logistics. They're actually so successful that it's not so easy anymore to give away the socks. You know, what are the logistics behind giving millions of socks to people in need. So like working with companies like them is super exciting or Cotopaxi, you know, they really think about the materials they use, how they produce and what they do actually with the rest and kind of leftovers, which is great. And two, I'm really excited because it feels that there is more public awareness and I feel everyone who's listening right now, you know, every consumer can actually make an impact too. So, next time, you know, if you read labels or if you think about a company you buy from, maybe you don't only want to ask yourself, was there a risk of maybe bad labor conditions or child labor involved? Maybe you can also think about how did this actually get here and have a massive impact.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that the consumer is going to be more aware than ever. And I think that, you know, we're going to get to a point where it's table stakes that you're a mission-driven company. It's going to be table stakes that you show your impact more clearly. And for a lot of companies that do have a huge impact, they've never done a good job of like evangelizing that. So I'm excited for that as well.
2: Yeah. And this is where data is coming in, right? So like, if you want to talk about your impact, so for example, for us as a company in the first few months of this year, we actually shipped more than 1.6 million pounds of goods for kind of aid purposes, which is a lot if you try to imagine this. And we can also share all the information we capture with our clients and they can tell their consumers, look, you know, this is our positive impact that we're having. So I think technology is really important for telling the story as well.
1: And technology is super important for nonprofits. It's like, are you, I mean, that was one of the big things that we did the roundtable was how important technology is. Like if every company going forward is now a technology company, right? It's like, then every nonprofit is. If the vast majority of nonprofits are actually logistics companies, right? So they better have a logistics partner that's really good at it. Just like they have technology partners as well. Susie, we got to have you back. This has been great. We didn't even get through half of our questions here. Anything, any final stuff to plug? Uh, Anything that everyone should check out flexport.org? Obviously, if you're interested in learning more. Yeah, any final thoughts?
2: Well, if you actually want to chat, feel free to find me. I would love just to, to support others if they think about, you know, creating their own career towards impact or even companies that want to do something or if you're a consumer and you want to know Does your favorite brand do something? And lastly, I would love to encourage everyone and almost like echo what you said earlier. Don't be afraid. Think about your personal experience and how you can leverage it. It takes some preparation, but I feel everyone can do the same.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. Talk soon. Thank you. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right.